Well, good morning, community of grace. Good to be with you here on this stormy, cloudy, sweaty, fun day, right? Yeah, it's good to be together, friends. I, I just want to echo some of what I heard before. Uh, I got a chance to be a part of VBS all week long. It was such a joy. It was so much fun to be with these kids, uh, to see the joy that they had, watch them dance and sing and shout and jump around and laugh. That sounds like a worship service to me. It sounds like the best of a worship service to me is when we can experience that. And I got to watch our kids and participate in that with them and uh, learn all those great things. Be reminded again of how when life is scary, God is good. And when life is sad, God is good. And I even added one of my own, which is when life is painful, God is good. Because on the first day, I went running down the aisle and I hurt my knee. So, so there's that. Um, and I'm not asking or I'm not telling you that for sympathy's sake. I'm telling you that so that I don't have to tell the story 450 times over again. So, uh, so that's that. So if you see me up on this stool, uh, that's partly why. But uh, it's really good um, to be together and to be continuing into our sermon series that we started last week called Mission Impossible. We are studying the book of Acts. We are looking at different stories from the book of Acts uh, to learn how it is that God started his church, how it is he used the Holy Spirit to inspire and empower his church, how the message started with just a few small people, just a couple of disciples, and wound up becoming a movement that swept all the way around the world. Only the Holy Spirit could accomplish that. When we talk about it being mission impossible, it's because apart from the Holy Spirit, it is an impossible mission. There's no way that this could get done outside of the work and power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, first of all, let's listen to what the mission is. Jesus gave this mission to his disciples. He made it really clear to them what he was asking of them. He said, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, everybody, all nations, that's a big deal, isn't it? I don't think anybody would imagine that here we are 2,000 years later and the mission is still going on. There's still people who need to hear the story of Jesus and it would be impossible to do that apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus promised. He promised them at the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He told his disciples this. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit is the power that we need to be able to do this mission. There is no other way apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us into mission. It's the Holy Spirit who inspires us in mission. If you remember a few weeks back, I talked about that word inspiration, which literally means to have the Spirit come into you, to be inspired. And people are inspired by God's power to be able to accomplish his mission in every different area of their life. You know, sometimes we come across impossible missions or missions that look impossible in our own lives. When I was young, I was up at my folks' lake place, and my dad liked to do projects every weekend, which is why sometimes I didn't like to go up to the lake place. Uh, but there was always a project, and one of the times that we were up there, the project was to move this shed from up on top of a hill down to the lake. It was one of those fishing sheds that had all of our fishing equipment in it, and it didn't make any sense to keep it up at the top of the hill. We wanted to get it down to the bottom of the hill. Well, it was about five feet wide and maybe eight or nine feet long, and it was solid wood. So there was no way we were just going to be able to pick this thing up and haul it down by the lakeside. And, and my dad was like, well, no, we'll get it down there. Tr trust me, we'll, we'll make it work. So how are we going to do this? We don't have a forklift. We don't have a cherry picker. We don't have any way of being able to mechanically move this shed down to 
the side of the lake. And my dad said, ah, there's always a way. And so the first thing that my dad did is he went out and got a big, long stick, and he put a log right next to it, right next to uh, where the shed was, and he shoved part of that stick underneath there, and he used it as a lever, and he lifted up the, the edge of the shed. And then he took extra logs that we had that had come from the trees that had fallen down there, and he started sticking the logs underneath this shed so that when he lowered it back down again, we could roll the shed on top of these logs. And when a log would come out the back end, we'd pick it up, bring it back around to the front, and keep moving it. We moved it all the way down without any problem. I was like, wow, that seemed impossible. But with a little inspiration, a little bit of my dad's wisdom, he took common everyday things and used them to do something great, something that seemed impossible. And there's no punchline to this story. My dad actually did it. It actually worked. But that's the way that God works. He uses ordinary things, ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary mission for Jesus' sake. So we're going to continue on this journey today. We're going to keep learning about how it is that God uses people, and specifically the people that he used in the book of Acts, to be able to keep the mission going. And in order to do that, we're going to look at a story of a guy named Steve. And uh, if you want to follow along with this, you can pull out one of your own Bibles or you can uh, ask one of the ushers. They will be happy to provide you with the Bible. Just stick your hand up. They'll give you one of our Quest Bibles. And uh, you can open up in that Bible to page 1601, which is Acts chapter 6. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6. And while you're turning there, while you're getting that all loaded up on your screen or on uh, your personal Bible that you brought with you, let me just kind of set the stage for what's happening here leading up to Acts chapter 6. We've been through Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And here's kind of what happens. The Holy Spirit comes after Jesus departs. The Holy Spirit is poured out on those first disciples. They are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and now they are sharing the good news of Jesus, just like he promised they would do. They were witnessing to the good news about who Jesus was, who God is, why his forgiveness has been offered to everyone, and they shared this story, and the more they shared this story, the more people heard it, and the more people who heard it, the more people who became a part of the church. The early church was growing by the thousands there in Jerusalem. It says that they were gathering together with one another every day in people's homes. And there they studied what the apostles were teaching them. They prayed together. They broke bread together. They shared what they had in common, and they shared it with the people around them in their community in generosity. And it says that daily people were added to the church. Incredible favor that was on these apostles and these first followers of Jesus. Then something happened, which often happens. There was opposition. Some things started to come up in the community. There were people who were against those first Jesus followers, people of the Jewish faith who thought that this Messiah was not the Messiah who had come to rescue them. He was a false teacher. He was, he was not what he said he was. And so they started pushing back against these apostles, all the way to the point where they arrested some of the apostles, put them in jail. But that didn't stop them. They continued to share the message of Jesus against that external opposition. Well, now as we come rolling up in chapter 6, we're going to see that there was other kinds of opposition that happened too. There were other kinds of challenges that the early church faced, and some of them were internal. And we're going to take a look at those today as we take a look at this story of Steve from Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Follow along with me as I read. In those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, 
The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and the number of priests and a number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and, and uh, signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel." A lot going on in this story, a lot of intrigue, a lot of different moving parts. I want to walk you through some of this and help you understand and us learn and grow together what it is that is meant by this story and, and God sharing it with us in his word. We have the disciples who are there trying to minister God's word and, and sharing the ministry of Jesus with all the people around them. They were teaching that was mostly what they were doing was teaching because all of this was new to so many people. And so they taught in homes, and they taught in the synagogues, and they, they taught uh, on the temple steps. They taught all the time, and the numbers kept getting larger and larger and larger, and many people were coming to faith. And among these people who were coming to faith were some of the most helpless, needy people in that time period, and those were widows. Widows. Widows were helpless to take care of themselves. Not because they weren't great people, not because they didn't have great possibility, but because the reality was if you were a single woman or a woman who had lost her family, you had no means to support yourself. There was no way you could take care of yourself and even provide for the most basic needs. So the church was realizing this, saw these dear Jewish widows and said, we must do something. We must help provide and share what we have in food so that they don't starve, so that they know that God loves them and God will take care of them through his church. So that's what they did. They started sharing with all of these different Jewish widows. But there were two different groups of Jewish widows that were here. You heard them talk about them. They were the Hellenistic Jews and there were the Hebraic Jews. Now, what do Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews, what does that mean? 
Hellenistic Jews were Greek-speaking and Greek-culturally influenced Jewish people. They weren't necessarily from Jerusalem. They may have been from some of the outlying cities, cities up in Asia and in other places. And they were primarily speaking Greek, and they primarily lived a Grecian lifestyle. They lived like the people of Greece. But they were followers of God in the Jewish tradition. But they didn't look and feel and seem the same way as those Jews who were living in Jerusalem. Because primarily, the Jews who were living in Jerusalem were Hebraic Jews, which means that they spoke Aramaic and Hebrew, the languages that Jesus spoke, the language that the Bible was written in in the Old Testament. These were the Hebraic Jews, and they were the majority there in this place. So they both had sets of widows who were there. And as it turned out, some favoritism was being shown to the Hebraic Jews. That was what was being perceived by those who were Hellenistic. They said, you have to help us. You have to make it fair of what's being shared because our widows are in need. And it should be shared evenly amongst the Jewish widows who are here in Jerusalem and are Hebraic and the Grecian, Greek Jews who are also here in Jerusalem. Well, there was a lot of them, and their numbers kept growing. And now we've got this controversy going on. And so the apostles looked at each other and said, look, you know what? We can't handle doing this all on our own. It's just too hard. There aren't enough of us. And we have a specific, particular calling, and that calling is to teach and to bring the ministry of teaching and of preaching and of proclaiming the good news about Jesus everywhere that we go. That's our call. So we need some other people to be raised up so that they can do this particular meaningful and important work of making sure that food is getting distributed to the widows. So they asked them to call up seven men. These seven men all happened to be Greek, by the way. Called them up and said, I want you to, to choose from amongst yourselves seven men who are full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Find these men. We will lay hands on them, which was a way of saying that we will give them authority to be able to do the work that they are called to do. And we'll give them the responsibility to go with it. They will have both the authority and the responsibility to carry out this task. So here they are, these seven men and the apostles standing around them, laying hands on them and saying, all right, it's your job to go make sure that the food is distributed to the widows. Go do it. And amongst them was a guy named Steve. Now, what do we know about Steve? Well, we know that Steve was one of these guys. We know that Steve was filled with the Holy Spirit, but we don't know anything in particular about who Steve was. We don't know whether Steve was rich or poor. It doesn't say that he was well-educated. It doesn't say that, that he uh, served some particular political cause or ruler in some place. There's nothing significant in the person of Steve except for the fact that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. That's what the Word of God says. And he had a job to do. A simple, straightforward job. Hand out the food. Hand out the food. Anybody of you ever been to a food shelf or worked at a food shelf? I know many of you have because we have partnerships with them here. It's a grinding daily task. We had a food shelf at my last congregation down in Sioux City, Iowa. And every Wednesday, we had a line of people that went all the way out the doors. And we would serve as many of them as we could. They would come into our, our, our narthex, our foyer, what was the commons at our church. 
And people would be there to greet them, to, to hand them food, to help them get packed up so that they had what they needed for the week. And they would talk with them and converse with them, and they had many different challenges and things that were going on. But it was hard work. It was physical labor to get this food taken care of. They had to haul it. They had to go get it from the food bank, and they had to buy it and bring it in. They had to package it up. They had to haul it up and down the stairs and bring it in and out from this space every Wednesday, set it all up and tear it all down again. It was just plain hard work. It's hard work doing what these men were called to do. But it's just a job, right? It's just a job. It's a job like anybody's job may be. It's a job for people like Steve, Steve, who was basically an average Joe. Anybody know any average Joes? Yeah, of course. There are many who are seated here. We're average Joes. Most of us are average Joes in one way or another. You know, there's a, a gentleman who I knew in my last congregation. He was an average Joe. His name was Joe. <laughs> really was. And Joe was a great guy. Joe would show up with his wife Carol to church every Sunday, and he always had a smile on his face, and he always had an encouraging word to say, and he loved being in church. He loved being around God's people. It, it meant so much to him to be a part of this community, and he was learning, and he was growing, and Joe had a job. Joe's job was driving bus. Now, it hadn't been his job his whole life, but as he lost his job a little later on in his career, he decided to start driving bus. And he drove bus all around the community. In fact, most of what he did was to stop and pick up people who had transportation issues. Some of them were kids who needed to be brought to school. Some of them were, were people who were elderly, or others were folks who had some disabilities, and they needed somebody to take them from point A to point B. And Joe had his route. And he would gather these people onto his bus and as you can imagine, often the same people would get on his bus day after day after day. So Joe took it upon himself to learn everybody's name and to learn their story. So every time somebody would walk in and come onto the bus, he would say, Hi, Kim, how are you today? And he'd give a personal touch to each one of those people. And as time went along, he began to pray for each of those people. And he'd get opportunity to, to share the, the church that he went to and, and the way that Jesus was working in his life. He just shared it with these dear friends, these dear other common people. He was an average Joe doing this ministry every day. Every day he had to go out and get that bus. Every day he had to drive this route. And every day he picked up these people. It was his job. It's what he did. It was a good job. Joe loved doing it. Because he realized that that job put him in proximity with people. It put him next to people. And why is that important, friends? Because the gospel and kingdom of God advances through common people doing everyday work in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how it gets done. It doesn't get done primarily by people like me or Pastor Angie sitting up here talking to you. Now, is this an, a, a particular role? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad I have this role. But you know, each Sunday at different times, I'll have people who will come up to me and they'll say, oh, wow, that was just such a wonderful sermon. Oh, you're such a wonderful preacher, as if I'm the star of the show. I'm not. And neither is Pastor Angie. The reality of it is we just have a call. We have a particular call to do a particular thing that God called us to do, and it happens to put us in front of people a lot. So God uses us to do specifically what he called us to do. But there's nothing special about us. We're average Joes, or Josephines. 
We're average people. We're ordinary people who have come into a relationship with an extraordinary God who wants to do amazing things through us. This is what he has called us to do. But he has given a calling to every single person who he has called into his kingdom. Every one of you has a call. Every one of you has a particular place that God has called you to work and to serve and to love people in the love of Jesus. Your employment in daily work is your deployment in daily mission. You, when you are employed by God, when you are called into whatever it is that he has called you to do, it's called a vocation, a calling, voca. That's where the word comes from. Vocation means a calling. You have a calling by God into the unique place where you are employed to do what it is that God has gifted you to do and to do it with excellence, to do it as unto the Lord. Whether you're a baker or a doctor or a school principal or a bus driver, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is you do, you do it with excellence unto the Lord. And then beyond that, you recognize that you have been deployed there through your employment on a mission from God to be those people who spread God's word so that many people can hear. I love doing what I do. I know Pastor Angie loves doing what she does too. It's an honor to be able to be in front of you and preach and proclaim God's word to you. But as I look around this room, I know that many and most of you have been here for a long time. And you get to rub shoulders out in the community with people we will never talk to. People who need to know the love of Jesus. People who need specifically you to be there in that time period to share God's love with them. That's the truth for every person in this room and every person who calls this church home and every person who belongs to a church anywhere. They have a calling. And you have a calling. You have a vocation in your daily work to live in daily mission serving Jesus. And if you do that, well, then you're a part of what it is that God has called all of us to do, which is to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But you know, there's more to the story. There's more to Joe's story, just like there was more to Steve's story. Steve, Stephan, or Stephen, was brought before the Sanhedrin because he just couldn't stop talking about Jesus with people. Every bag of food, every person he served, wherever he was, he kept telling the story of Jesus, of his good news. And it finally irritated those who were in political and religious power. And so they brought him in front of a tribunal, and they lied about him. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? And they made up false stories about him. And ultimately, they asked him to give a defense for what it was that he was doing. And Stephen did. And it's all of chapter 7 is this remarkable story of God that he shares. And in the end, he looks at those who are there accusing him and says, you're the ones who killed Jesus. It's what you did that refused to listen to the words of God and the words of the prophets all the way through the ages, and you just did it again with Jesus. And they grew so angry that they stoned him to death. I can't imagine a more horrible way of dying than being stoned to death by those who were around him. You see, to be a witness costs you something. And to be a witness costs 
Stephen everything. Because the word witness also comes from another word. It's the word martyros. It's where we get the word martyr from. To be a witness to what God is doing may call some of us to make the ultimate sacrifice wherever it is that we are. God might not call you to that specifically, but he calls all of us to bear witness to how good God is in our lives wherever we are. In Stephen's case, it cost him his life. And then there was Average Joe. Average Joe, the bus driver. Because one day, Average Joe came to church, and he wasn't quite as happy as he had been before. He came up with his wife and let me know that he had just recently been diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. A horrible disease. But he was going to face it head on. I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to face this head on. I'm going to get the treatments. I'm going to get the chemo. I'm going to keep on living because I have things to live for. I have things to do. And so he would get his chemo treatments, and then as soon as he could, he would get back in that bus and drive around town and keep sharing the love of Jesus wherever he went. Well, soon it got to a point where Joe couldn't do that anymore. He was so weak and in so much pain that he had to give up the bus route. And it finally came to a point where he needed to be hospitalized. And he was hospitalized for a very extended period of time, months, as a matter of fact, kind of unusual. So I went up to visit Joe, like many of the pastors in our congregation and friends just did on a regular basis, coming up there to pray with Joe and talk with average Joe. And when I got up to the floor that Joe was on, because Joe would often get moved from room to room, I, I looked around and I asked somebody there. I said, hey, um, I'm wondering, could you, could you show me? Uh, I'm looking for a particular person. His name is, his name is Joe. I, I wouldn't get the rest of the words out of my mouth. And somebody there would go, oh, Joe. Oh, yeah, we know Joe. Everybody here knows Joe. Are you one of Joe's friends? I said, yeah, I am. It's a lot better than being known as, oh, you're that pastor guy who's here. <laughs> Just a friend of Joe. So I got to go in and sit with Joe and pray with him each day and, and hear his stories because he didn't talk about how much pain he was in. He talked about the nurses and the doctors and the people who walked into his office or walked into his room every time. And with each and every one of them, he would share his story. He would share a joke. He would share some laughter while he was even physically deteriorating. Finally, it came one time where he was called and he was in such excruciating pain that I sat next to him by his bed and just held his hand. And every once in a while, the pain would subside. And Joe would look over and he'd say, How are you doing, Pastor? He never lost his joy. And he was faithful to the very end. Friends, every one of us has a call. And that call is in effect until the day you are called home. If you're not dead, you're not done. And God has a purpose for you exactly where he has you. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean everything's going to go great. But it does mean that God has a purpose for you in your life, and it's a holy purpose, and it's a holy calling. You don't just have a job. You have a place where you can bring influence, where you can bring excellence, where you can serve God well and serve his people with his love. That's true for every person in this room. 
And there's three things that God looks for to be able to be used that way. And the first is somebody who's humble. Now, being humble doesn't mean that you don't stand tall and speak positive. It's not some groveling thing where you just go, oh, I'm just a terrible worm. Being humble simply is an acknowledgement of the fact that nothing that I do is my own. Nothing that I have is my own. None of the gifts that I've been given are my own. They're all gifts from Jesus. And I can do nothing apart from him. But with him, all things are possible, especially those things that look impossible. That's all it means to be humble. It's just acknowledge that, hey, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And anything good that you see in me, give praise and glory to Jesus. He's looking for people who are humble. He's also looking for people who are available. Who are available. God is more interested in your availability than he is in your ability. He will use you wherever it is and in whatever place you are in your life. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to know the list of all the kings in the Old Testament. You don't have to know everything to go and show the love of Jesus. I sure don't. You just have to love Jesus back. Know his deep love for you and be one who's willing to say, wow, I serve such an amazing God as a broken person myself. Just be available. The work that had to be done by Stephen was daily. The work that was done by average Joe was daily, every single day, every single day. The widows had to be fed. And Stephen just made himself available. And he did it in God's strength. Humble, available, and faithful. Faithful to the end. Stephen was faithful to the end. None of us know exactly how this story in particular is going to end in this part of the journey on earth. But however it ends, there is an eternity that awaits us. There is total healing that is for us and waiting for us. We may experience some of it in this life, but I guarantee you we will all experience it in the next if we put our trust in Jesus. Trust in him. Be humble, available, and faithful. And be deployed wherever you are employed. Amen? And let's pray. Father, you are so good. Your love endures forever. And no matter what life throws at us, when life is sad, you're good. When life is scary, you're good. When life is painful, you are good. When life is crazy, you are good. Lord, you have a calling for each and every one of us. And we may not have fully discovered it yet, Lord, but it awaits us. And we don't have to go waiting for it, Lord. We can do it right now wherever we are. We can live and love people like Jesus loves people. We can share the story. We can listen for other people's stories and see where you are already at work ahead of us. Father, through your Holy Spirit, would you give us a greater sense of your presence every day in our lives? Would you remind us, Lord, that it's not just during the one, two, or maybe three hours that we are here at church that your presence is with us, but it's the 165 hours that we are not here that you are with us just 
as much. You are present with us in every step, in every conversation, in every task, in every relationship. Lord, be present. Holy Spirit, remind us of your presence. Show us who you are so that we can share that love with the world around us. It's a simple thing, Lord, and it's the hardest thing we'll ever be asked to do. Thank you that we can trust in you to live in us, to empower us, to guide us, because you are the one who has rescued us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.